Welcome to the Spirit of Praise broadcast coming to you from Tabernacle of Praise Church International, York, South Carolina. I'm Bishop Alfred Jackson. I'm thankful that you've tuned in today. And I pray that the message will bless you and impact your life in a powerful way. Thank you for tuning in. Enjoy the message. Reach to me. I'm so glad that your strength reaches. Hallelujah. He reaches. He reaches. I, I can't tell you what to do, but if you've ever experienced him reaching and reaching and reaching and lifting and lifting, he lifts you up. He lifts you up. His love lifted me. His love lifted me. He reaches. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to your name, oh God. Keep reaching, Jesus. Keep reaching, oh God. Keep reaching, oh Jesus. Hallelujah. Glory to your name. Glory to your name. I, like I said, I can't tell you what to do, but you ought to give him thanks if he's reached you. You ought to give him praise if he's reached you, if he's lifted you from the snare, if he grabbed you out of the muck, if he turned your life around. You ought to give him thanks. You ought to give him glory. Hallelujah. Woo! Yes, Lord. Reach your lowest point reaches me when you don't see a way out of nowhere he reaches yeah. he reaches our great high priest he reaches came across divinity out of eternity and he reaches he reaches yeah. hallelujah yes, he does. glory to God Mm, glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, oh God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Mm. Well, good morning. <laughs> Hallelujah. Woo. Give me one second. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Good morning. Good morning, Tabernacle of Praise. Everyone who's in the sanctuary this morning, everyone who's watching online. Thank you for joining us in worship this morning. Our prayer is that you will feel God reaching, whether it's through a song, through a word, through a prayer, that you feel God reaching for he is close to you. Scripture calls him Emmanuel, God with us. He dwells, he tabernacles with us. He moved into the neighborhood. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. <sighs> I came in feeling physically fatigued, but now I feel as light as a feather. And for that, I thank you, Jesus, for reaching. 
I will not be before you long today. And before I start, of course, I want to give honor to Bishop Alfred Jackson, the leader, the head of this house, Lady Gladys Jackson, who stands alongside him, every minister and elder who is here in service, and you, the people of Tabernacle of Praise, who truly are the heartbeat of our ministry. Thank you. But I would be remiss if I did not mention my corn muffin. My good thing, my wife. I love you. And I praise God for your ministry, not just what you did today, but what you do every day. This has been a challenging, challenging week. And one of the things Yvonne told me repeatedly is that, well, if the message isn't battle-tested, it may not be right. It's been battle-tested, let me assure you. And while she doesn't know what is going on right now, I have to mention and recognize my little girl, my Micah. In just three short months, she has changed my life. You know, it's so easy to become cynical and to think about all the bad things and horrible things in the world. And I have a tendency to sometimes do that. But experiencing her discover the world and looking at how she looks at the world through her eyes, it just, it really reminds me that our world is filled with wonder and we ought to focus more on the wonder. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, if you're not already standing and if you are able, please join me on your feet as we navigate to two scriptures this morning. The first you've already heard in your hearing, but we're going to go over it again because it's a good one. It's all good. <laughs> Join me in Isaiah chapter 61, starting at verse 1. When you have it, please say amen. All right. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called mighty oaks, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Travel with me now to the New Testament, to the Gospel of John, chapter 9, starting at verse 1. When you have it, please say amen. Amen. As he went along, he being Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Our thought for this morning, visual aids, visual aids. Let us pray. Eternal and gracious Father, Lord God, we bless you and we honor you for great is your faithfulness. There is no one like you in all of existence. We thank you, O oh God, for your word that you've given us. It's a privilege, O oh God, 
to receive your word. It's a privilege to read and study your word. It's a privilege, oh God, to comb through the pages of scripture, oh God, and glean something new every single time. We bless you, oh God, so that as the grass may wither and the flowers may fall, the word of the Lord endures forever. And like the angel told Mary, no word from God will ever fail. So we pray, oh God, that you will show up now, oh God. Come through, Jesus, as only you can, oh God. Come through, oh Jesus, and speak to the hearts, the souls, the spirits of your people, oh God. You know what they need, oh Jesus. And so I pray, oh God, that you would hijack this entire teaching moment, oh God, and that you would have your way, Jesus. I am merely an instrument in the hands of a conductor, oh God. You are responsible for the symphony, so Jesus, speak as only you speak, oh God. We await a word from the Lord. Thank you, God. We love you. We bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated, and I'm going to take a sip. There we go. Let's go to work. Not too long ago, a good friend reached out to ask for prayer after a particularly rough day. Over the last few years, he and his family have undergone a number of challenges, each with varying degrees of intensity, with many ebbs and many flows. This friend of mine trusts the Lord, knows how to pray the word of God over his situation, and believes God for a breakthrough, but he's human. Pressing through the obstacles and opposition gets hard sometimes. The challenges grow overwhelming. I'm sure we can all relate. Because this is his testimony to tell, not mine, I won't offer the details of the afflictions he's faced. But I will say that his transparency about his trials and how in this single day they discouraged him opened the door for a ministry moment. When he asked for prayer this particular day, the Holy Spirit brought to my mind the prophet Jeremiah. I told my friend that when I contemplated his own plight, it reminded me of Jeremiah, who God used as a demonstrative example of a message he was sending to the people in Judah. I told my friend that it occurs to me that God will use his people as living, breathing symbols, demonstrations that put his sovereignty and his majesty, his goodness and his mercy on full display. In the case of my friend, whether he realized it or not before that day, in spite of his own individual pain, God had used him as a testimony to bless and inspire me and others. But God isn't just using him as a testimony after the fact, in the future once the hardships have ended. God is using him, and by extension his family, as visual aids in the here and now, to illustrate something significant about God himself. The Oxford English Dictionary defines a visual aid as an item of illustrative matter, such as a film, slide, or model, designed to supplement written or spoken information so that it can be understood. Think diagrams during a presentation or videos in a class. In the context of our relationship with God, he often makes us into his own visual aids, illustrative examples intended to draw people's attention and allegiance away from the depravity and hopelessness of this fallen world and to the majestic truth and miraculous power of our God who made it. But I must utter a word of caution. 
Being God's visual aid is no Sunday stroll. Because in using us as demonstrations, the Lord has no qualms about allowing us to endure hardship if it means he'll receive maximum glory and others will be blessed as they witness our travail. Just ask Jeremiah. Dubbed the reluctant prophet by some theologians and the weeping prophet by others, Jeremiah was called by the Lord into prophetic service as a young man, perhaps as young as a teenager, and he wasn't happy about it. We get a glimpse of his reluctance in the first chapter of his book, which happens to be the longest prophetic book in the Bible. In verse 5, God speaks words to Jeremiah that many of us are likely familiar with. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. What's not quoted nearly as often is Jeremiah's reply in verse 6. He says, Ah, sovereign Lord, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. In the next verse, God does not mince words. Do not say, I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. From there, the Lord put his word in Jeremiah's mouth and gave this upstart prophet his first series of visions foretelling the disaster that would befall Judah. And while Jeremiah was obedient in his nearly 40 years of service to the Lord as a prophet, he still experienced bouts of reluctance and hesitation. And it's not hard to understand why. Jeremiah's burden and his assignment were heavy. Not only that, but Jeremiah, having been raised and trained in a priestly family, likely understood that to become a prophet of the Lord meant becoming immensely unpopular. You see, the prophets of the Bible are quite different from the celebrity influencer prophets of today. Today, anyone with an impressive Rolodex of contacts or a robust social media following or a cachet of bite-sized slogans and sayings can be deemed a prophet even if the content of their messages contain notes of falsehood. Biblical prophets, however, were social pariahs. They were outcasts who were hated by the people God sent them to address. Their messages were not filled with platitudes about prosperity and individual success that satisfy itching ears. Instead, their oracles were rife with messages of correction and impending judgment. Restoration too, but only after the impending judgment. No one really wanted to hear from a prophet, and no one wanted to hear from Jeremiah, whose messages centered on the sin and shortcomings of the people of Judah and the inevitable punishment for that sin, conquest and exile at the hands of Babylon. These words weren't exactly new to the people. God used several prophets to warn Judah, who at this point had split off from Israel centuries earlier, becoming the southern kingdom to Israel's northern one, Despite witnessing their northern neighbors devastated and deported by the Assyrians, the people of Judah were still culpable for the same indiscretions. They turned away from complete devotion to Yahweh and began experimenting with the idolatrous practices of foreign nations. Prophets like Obadiah, Joel, and Isaiah warned the flip-floppy Judah that unless they repented and returned to God fully, 
then just like Israel, they too would be dragged into captivity. The people did not listen. By the time Jeremiah arrived on the scene, Judah was enjoying a period of pious reform under the leadership of the righteous King Josiah. Altars and idols devoted to false gods were burned and destroyed. Pagan priests were disposed of. Shrines for male prostitutes were decommissioned and child sacrifices were outlawed. For all intents and purposes, things seemed to be on the upswing for Judah, but it was not to last. Josiah died in battle in the 30th year of his reign and Judah again regressed into adulterous idol worship. So Jeremiah issued a series of strong warnings and calls to repentance, declaring that doom would descend on Judah if they did not change. He was not well liked, but he was an irresistible communicator. Similar to Ezekiel and Isaiah, Jeremiah was quite colorful in his method of prophetic delivery. He often used visual aids and demonstrations known as sign acts to reinforce his messages, that's S-I-G-N. Sign acts were simply nonverbal actions that visually demonstrated the message that God commanded the prophet to deliver. You can usually tell that you've stumbled upon a sign act in scripture if the prophet followed their strange behavior with a verbal proclamation that interpreted what their actions meant. So, Elisha causing an axe head that fell into the Jordan River to float to the surface is not a sign act. That's a miracle. But Ezekiel baking bread over dried human feces in the sight of the people to demonstrate how the Israelites would soon eat defiled bread in the nations God would banish them to. Now that, that's a sign act. And when it comes to these dramatic sign acts, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, could offer a masterclass. For instance, when prophesying about Judah's eventual exile into Babylon in Jeremiah's chapters 27 and 28, God commands the prophet to place a wooden yoke around his own neck. If you don't recall, a yoke is a horizontal wooden beam attached to the heads or necks of oxen or other animals to join them together so that they can equally and simultaneously pull some sort of weight or load. It's not comfortable. In this case, God used the literal yoke around Jeremiah's neck to symbolize the metaphorical yoke that Judah had attached itself to by worshiping the false gods of other nations. They were yoked together with unbelievers. It was also a glimpse into a grim future in which Judah would be enslaved or yoked to Babylon, the nation that would take it into exile. Then there's also God commanding Jeremiah in chapter 19 to smash a clay jar before a crowd of priests and elders as a symbolic demonstration of God's plans to shatter Judah and Jerusalem. In chapter 13, God commands Jeremiah to buy a new belt, wear it around his waist, then bury it near a river, return many days later, and dig it up only to find it ruined and useless. Why? It was intended to show how although the people of Judah were bound to God like a belt bound to a waist, he would make them utterly useless because of their refusal to repent. While the sign acts got the message across, they did not endear Jeremiah to the people. Over the course of his prophetic career, he was treated as a traitor by false prophets. 
He was thrown into an empty cistern, which is a large tank built to hold water, by enemies who hoped that he would eventually die while stuck in the mud. And he was nearly killed for prophecies he uttered about the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. The persecution was so severe that in chapter 20, Jeremiah uttered one of his most infamous lamentations. In verse 9, he declared that he never wanted to speak God's word again, but he could not help himself for it felt like a fire shut up in his bones. Even when the cost of service seemed too high, it was impossible for Jeremiah to suppress the Lord's message. Essentially, the word of God was so powerful that it simply could not be contained. I contend that's because Jeremiah's impact wasn't relegated just to the use of his visual aids. Sure, they helped when he spoke about God's judgment concerning Judah, but they don't mean the same to us as they did to the original audience. After all, we don't live in Judah, and the exile happened thousands upon thousands of years ago. Reading these prophecies don't carry the same emotional heft for us as they would have for the people who heard them firsthand. And yet, when we comb through Jeremiah's book and we pour over the details of his life and ministry, his ups and his many downs, his afflictions and his deliverance, we learn profound truths about the God we call Lord and Savior. That's because, just like Jeremiah used visual aids to communicate a message from God, God used Jeremiah as a visual aid to offer insight into his nature and character to countless generations of people who still need to be encouraged and emboldened today. And God didn't stop with the prophets whose prophecies and prose fill volumes of the Old Testament. In a similar fashion today, God uses us as visual aids to tell the world about himself, to give people a taste of who he is so that they might be convinced to learn and know more. It's often commonplace for Christians who sincerely love the Lord to articulate their desire to be used by God, and that's wonderful. But I'll venture to say that oftentimes the framework people use for understanding what it means to be used by God centers on the miraculous and the spectacular, healing the sick, performing miracles, speaking words or singing songs that inspire, uplift, and move people to tears. And that's valid. God absolutely uses his people in those magnificent ways. But I submit to you that being used by God also comes with its share of unappealing discomfort. It may look like healing the sick, or it may look like getting sick. It may look like performing miracles, or it may look like being in a situation so dire that the fact that you're still breathing is the miracle. It could look like singing songs that move people to tears, or it could look like you being the only person with tears falling from your eyes. It could look like being a passionate orator, or it could look like going through enough fire and rain that you minister with battle-tested scars as a wounded healer who speaks to the hearts of the lost and dying. These can be unsettling truths to grapple with. The idea of suffering for God's glory and him being okay with that doesn't sit well with a lot of people. But I encourage us to examine the biblical precedent. Some of the Lord's most useful people were beaten, martyred, barren, orphaned, widowed, stoned, 
put into a furnace, condemned to a lion's den, shipwrecked, bitten by a snake, imprisoned, and if they were anything like Jeremiah or Jesus, hated and despised because of the words they spoke. And because of how God used each of them, because of how he showed up in the midst of their struggles, we've been able to glean helpful nuggets about his character. Because of their trials, we know that he's close to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Because of their trials, we know that he's compassionate and long-suffering. Because of their trials, we know that he won't harbor his anger forever and that he does not treat us according to what our sins deserve. Because of their trials, we know that he delivers, that he redeems, that he sets free, that he keeps and that he heals. And because of your trials, someone in desperate need of help and hope, someone at the end of their rope, someone with the gun at their head, the razor at their wrist, the pills in their hand will know that God is who he says he is without visual aids in the form of his people, both those whose lives color the scriptures and the very people sitting in the sanctuary today, it would be far more difficult for us to fully grasp the depth of God's unfailing love and concern for all people. If his people don't go through any trouble, if we never experience a little bit of darkness, it would be far more difficult to appreciate the radiance of his light. God will use whatever he deems necessary, what we might consider good and not so good, to achieve that maximum glory and to reach the people who witness how he shows up for us amid the calamity. Yeah, people are attracted to glitz and glamour, wealth and status. But at the end of the day, those things are hollow. Jesus tells us in John 16:33, in this world, we'd have tribulation, but to be of good cheer because he's overcome the world. But he also tells us in Matthew 5:45 that it rains on the righteous and the unrighteous. The fact of the matter is that trouble is part and parcel of the human experience. It comes for us all. And when it comes, people look for hope and an answer. That hope does not come packaged with a ring light, a glam squad, or a fancy filter. It comes from the raw and real testimonies of God's people going through the fire and trusting him to come out purified and refined. As God's church, we are his visual representation on the earth. And our job, our purpose is to put his glory on display by whatever means necessary, even if those means bring us some distress. We see this phenomenon at play in John chapter 9. When Jesus and his disciples encounter a man born blind, the disciples' immediate reaction is to question what this man or his parents did for him to incur this disability. From their standpoint, the man had to have sinned to deserve his condition. It's the same sentiment Job's supposed friends use to suggest that Job had to have done something to suffer the way he did. Surely he could not have been righteous and still be on the receiving end of so much pain, tragedy, and loss. But Jesus course corrects this faulty theology in John 9 with a simple yet profound reply to his followers. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. This man, who had no vision of his own, was a living, breathing visual aid showcasing God's handiwork. His affliction was not a curse or a punishment. 
It was a tool in the hands of the Lord who before his birth ordained that this man would suffer in a very specific way for a very specific purpose. As the account goes, Jesus healed the man with dirt, spit, and instructions to wash in the pool of Siloam. The man did as he was told and returned home with the ability to see. His neighbors and those who knew him as a beggar were stunned. And they asked how his eyes were opened. He told them about a man named Jesus who made some mud and put it on his eyes. When the cynical and conniving Pharisees interrogated him, he testified again to what Christ had done. He even became somewhat of an unwitting apologist, defending the veracity of Christ's miracle with a bit of a theological discourse. In verse 28, the Pharisees hurl insults at this man, calling him a disciple of, quote unquote, this fellow. This fellow they're talking about is Jesus. While they, the Pharisees, devotees to the law, claimed to be the disciples of Moses, so they thought they were better. They claim they knew that God spoke to Moses, but as for this Jesus guy, they don't know where he comes from. In verse 30, the formerly blind man responds. Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. This man, saddled with an affliction he did not ask for, became a witness, a visual aid, pointing to the gravity of Jesus's abundant compassion and limitless power. His neighbors, his family, passers-by who saw him every day, even the Pharisees, all beheld what God had done through him because of his suffering. They could try to explain it away, they could attempt to discredit Christ as the Messiah, but they could not deny what they had witnessed themselves. As the man himself says in verse 25, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Brothers and sisters, just like this man, just like Jeremiah, your lives too are visual aids, giving a hopelessly distraught and despondent world a glimpse of the hope of glory. Your afflictions, your struggles, and your hardships are not by happenstance. They are resources in the potter's hands, specifically designed to bring him glory and reach the lost who are in your sphere of influence. Even the thorns in your flesh or the sin that you contend with that seems customized just for you are materials the Lord uses to reveal a glorious truth about himself. Don't be dismayed when you face diverse trials or fiery ordeals that test you. But as it is written in 1 Peter 4.13, rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. And that's the beautiful thing about being God's visual aid. He receives glory through us and we experience his joy as a result. Yes, the suffering will come and hard stuff is going to happen. But our God is a keeper of promises. And just like he did through Jeremiah, he promises restoration. The afflictions occur, but our Redeemer delivers us from them all. There are seasons of lack, but Jehovah Jireh supplies all of our needs. The sickness strikes, but Jehovah Rapha is the son of righteousness with healing in his wings. The enemy attacks, but Jehovah Gabor fights on our behalf. Our arms grow weak and our knees feeble, but the King of Kings is our refuge and strength. 
destruction creeps around the corner, but the giver of life is the strength of our lives. At the end of it all, when you've emerged on the other side of the struggle victorious, God will have received the glory. Someone will have seen God in a way they never have before, and you will brim with joy because the Lord used you well as his visual aid. Don't run from it. Embrace it. Don't despair. Rejoice. Don't hide, but trust God and stand with your head held high because you are his visual aid. As Isaiah writes in chapter 61, you who were oppressed are his visual aid. You who are brokenhearted are his visual aid. You who are poor in spirit, you're his visual aid. You are a planting of the Lord, mighty oaks of righteousness for the display of his splendor. Amen. I'm done. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to his name. Hallelujah. Glory to his name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, oh God, for using us as your visual aids. Thank you, Jesus. Life is filled with struggle. Life is filled with hardship. Life is filled with tumult. But our God never leaves us defenseless. He never leaves us without help. He never leaves us to our own devices. Maybe there are some struggles you're going through today. Maybe there are some things that have really got you down. Maybe there's some tragedy around the corner or something you've already experienced. Bring it to the altar. Let us pray together. Let us encourage one another. We are a family, and we are the family of God. The Lord loves us, and he does not allow us to suffer without purpose. So if that is you, if you feel the need to unburden yourself today, join us at the front. The altar is open. Heavenly Father, we thank you, O oh Jesus. We thank you for your word, O oh God. We thank you that your word never fails. We thank you, O oh God, that you are with us always to the very end of the age. That, Lord God, that in the midst of our afflictions, you're there. That, God, when we are at the height of the mountain, you're there where we are travailing in the valley low. You, you are there. Even if we make our beds in Sheol, you're there. We love you, O oh God. We honor you for your word because, Lord God, your word endures forever, because you watch over your word to perform it, oh God. We thank you and we honor you for your word today. Lord God, we pray that this word, oh God, will continue to resonate, that it will sit in our hearts, oh God, and encourage us in those moments, Lord God, when life seems overwhelming, when everything seems daunting, oh God, when we feel hemmed on every side, oh God, we may be persecuted, but we are not crushed, we are not broken. You are with us always, and we love you, O oh God. Amen. Amen. There may be some in here today or online who want to understand more. How can I get to this place where I'm okay with suffering? How can I get to this place where it makes sense or where I can understand, get some kind of, glean some kind of reason out of it? Maybe you don't know the Lord personally. There are many of us who realize in our walk with the Lord that it is not a cakewalk, but it is beautiful. It is potentially the best, not potentially, it is the best decision you will ever make. And so if you have not made that decision, if you feel the tug, if you feel the leading, I encourage you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, I am a sinner 
I confess to you, O God, that I'm in need of a savior. Lord God, I believe that you are the son of God, Jesus, and that you died for my sins and were raised from the dead. And so this day, in this moment, O God, I want to listen to your word. I want to listen to your voice. I want a relationship with you. I want to understand how I can come to this place, O God, where I am your visual aid. I want to understand how I can come to this place, O God, where in the midst of the trials and ordeals and tribulations of life, I can stand firm-footed on the word of God. I want to know, O God, that you are with me always and forever. And so I accept you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior today. I ask that you will come and save me, that you will come and change my life, O God, that you would come and encounter me right where I am. Thank you, Lord. Come into my life. Change my life. Save me. Amen. If you prayed that prayer and it was a choice of your will, you didn't feel coerced um, or forced, please reach out to us. Our inbox remains open. We are open here on Facebook, of course. You can send us a DM or you can reach out to us on our website, topraise.org. That's T-O-P-R-A-I-S-E dot org. Fill out the contact form and somebody will get back in touch with you. We want to walk with you. We want to help disciple you. And I know that's a really big and fancy churchy word, but it really just means to help teach you, to help you understand the implications of this new lifestyle because your life will never be the same. And you need help. And we're here to help. Amen. I would be remiss also if I don't make an invitation for those who may need to rededicate their lives to Christ. Perhaps you were in close fellowship with him at one point and things change. Life happens. We all make mistakes. Several of us have testimonies about backsliding. I have a testimony about backsliding. It's nothing to be ashamed of because you're here now and you can make that choice now. So if that is you, if you need to rededicate, recommit, feel free. You can join us here. You can make that commitment online. I will guide us in prayer in that regard as well. Lord Jesus, I am a backslider. Once upon a time, I had close, intimate fellowship with you, but things got in the way. The thorniness of life came and distracted me or choked me or held me back. And I want to revert back to you. I want to walk away from living for myself, oh God, and I want to live for you again. I want to know you and understand you. I want to experience you authentically and truthfully. So Lord, I rededicate myself to you today. I recommit my life. I give it back to you, oh Lord. Come back to me as I come back to you. Help me to see you and to realize that, God, you never really walked away, but you led me to this moment of rededication. Thank you, Lord. Amen. I pray that you've been blessed by the message. And if you have, write to us. Let us know how this message has impacted your life. 
or if you've made a decision for Christ today to follow Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, write to us and let us know that as well and give us your information so that we can follow up with you. You may write to us at Tabernacle of Praise at msn.com. That's Tabernacle of Praise at msn.com. Give us your email address or a way to contact you so that we can follow up with you. Also, we would like for you to sow into this ministry. If you've been blessed by this work, by the preaching of the gospel and the teaching of the gospel, and you would like to help further this cause, we're not just preaching here in the United States. We are preaching around the world. Through this podcast, our messages are being heard in many places around the world. We are actively working in eight countries in the world on the ground in Liberia, Malawi, Burkina Faso, Ghana, Guinea, uh, Kenya, and Dominican Republic. So if you'd like to help us in this work, feel free to sow a seed to help further the preaching and teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the expanding of the kingdom of God. If you would like to give, go to topraise.org forward slash give. Again, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. Continue to pray with us and for us as we continue to spread this gospel of Jesus Christ around the world. God bless you.